Ooh, that was quick. <clears throat> it's like the, my least favorite part of our gathering is like shutting down that, that conversation. I know I say that every time. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, so today I feel like is kind of unique. I want to name a couple of things uh, for us this morning as reminders, kind of remembrances. First of all, um, on this day in 2020, Breonna Taylor was killed by the police in her home. Also, on this Sunday in 2020, it was the last time that we gathered together in this building before we sold it and as the pandemic hit and we began meeting online. It's been two years, friends. It's crazy. So I just want to just say that. <laughs> For us to all take a deep breath together. We are here, and it is good to gather together. It is also the second Sunday of Lent, the season in which the church universal pays particular attention to our humanity. The weight of all that misses the mark of what God intends for us, and we follow Jesus into the growing darkness or toward the cross and toward death, which is symbolized in the snuffing out of a candle each week in our Lenten readings. And all this feels pretty intense this year, doesn't it? Amidst war, anti-trans, anti-gay, anti-CRT legislation, crises near and far, and of course, the pandemic, which at this point just feels like it's sprinkled on top of what might just be a dumpster fire at this point. Somehow, in the midst of all of this, God is present. Creator's good road is there, somewhere. And Jesus invites us to choose it. Choosing the good road, though, requires energy expenditure. It's exhausting. It's easy to just take the paths of least resistance these days. It's the path the crowd often takes. And I understand the temptation. Even as one who is often blazing the trail, I do find myself in the crowd sometimes. The crowd is often where neutral folks hang out. There's not much required of you often in the crowd. It's not costly. And while crowds can be made up of folks who are quite neutral on many things, they do come with their own sense of identity. I confess that today's reading uh, really stirred my, let's call it, passion for the small church. And I'm going to try to bite my tongue on a lot of other things I was thinking this week. <laughs> Jesus was no stranger to the propensities and neutrality of the crowd. Large crowds followed him, and they were usually the pools of, from which he would call disciples. He would extend the invitation to anyone who would identify with his mission, to anyone who would accept the invitation to follow him on the good road. However, particularly those accustomed to being first or holding power would quickly see that there was a cost in following Jesus. One could no longer just look like they were following Jesus. It required a shift in allegiance. It would alter 
their identity, and it would be costly. We're going to listen to what Jesus has to say to the crowd following him into Jerusalem, and we're going to consider what we might learn from Jesus today. We're going to read from Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. Again, I'll be reading from the First Nation version. Um, If you have missed it somewhere along the line in communications, there's a copy for each household here. Um, If you have not grabbed your copy of the First Nations version, they're on the counter out here. We just ask that you sign off so we know to make sure that every household has one. Um, So I encourage you to grab that before you leave today if you have not already. Let's listen to Jesus' words. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. Large crowds were following him, so he turned to them and said, The ones who come to me must put me first above all others. To walk the road with me, they must love and respect me above their own fathers and mothers, wives and children, and aunties and uncles. They must love me even more than their own lives. Only the ones who are willing to follow me and carry their own crossbeam are ready to walk the road with me and learn my ways. Who would build a great lodge without first making sure he had enough trees to finish it? If he only built the floor and then ran out of trees, others would laugh at him and say, how will you finish what you started? Would a chief go to war against another chief if he only had half as many warriors? No, he would send messengers ahead to make a peace treaty. Or sure, we hope, I guess. You must count the cost of following me, for all who are not willing to give up all they have are not ready to walk the road with me and learn my ways. Then he added, salt is a good thing. But if it loses its saltiness, how will it get its flavor back? That kind of salt is thrown away. It is no good for the garden or the manure pile. Let the ones who have ears hear what I am saying. This is the word of the Lord. I hear a few things from Jesus in this text today. I hear Jesus extend an invitation to take on a new identity. One not shaped by ancestral or social status. You see, in the colonizing Greco-Roman culture that placed a high value on family networks, being called to love and respect Jesus above their own is really a disavowal to family as their primary allegiance. A new identity was to be found within the community oriented toward God's purposes and characterized by the faithfulness to good news that Jesus shared. Really, Jesus is saying to them that those whose fundamental allegiance is not in Christ cannot be identified as disciples. And if you really think about that for a minute, that's a stinger. The First Nations version expresses Jesus' words in verse 26 from a different angle than most other translations, okay? We might be used to hearing the word hate from other translations, to hate your father, mother, etc. But as the first, and that word in the Greek is meseo, and it, it does mean to hate, but here's the thing. 
as the First Nations version expresses, by extension, the word actually means to love less and therefore to love Jesus more, which is the words that are used by the First Nations version. It's about allegiances being rightly ordered, we might say. And sometimes, loving Jesus first and following the good road also means losing people along the way. We are all too familiar with this reality, and it comes with its own grief, as Brittany spoke to last week. Another thing that I hear Jesus saying in this text is really uh, an echoing of the words from Mark 8, 34 through 35, which I read earlier for us. From another translation, it says, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. These are very upside-down economics, okay? They are the economics, though, of the kingdom. We're not real accustomed to seeing upside-down economics kind of in everyday life. Um, they're kind of hard to recognize, except for maybe those who serve in the military who might understand that, that the first ones out into the field are the last ones out of the field. But for most of us, civilians, this is kind of hard to see. We might see it when we're, let's say, packing a vehicle or a moving van, or when we've checked our luggage and we're reclaiming it. The first that goes in is the last to come out, though mine always is the last to come out somehow. I don't know. just is. But in all seriousness, there is a cost, right, to carrying one's crossbeam or cross. It requires that we love Jesus more than our own lives. This is really about a kenosis, a self-emptying, a giving up of all that we have, loosening our grip, right, opening our hands. And Jesus says, count the cost, because just plodding along with the crowd is useless, it's like salt losing its saltiness, which is not even good for the garden or the manure pile. Matthew 5, 13, Jesus shares this in a little bit different way. He says, As you walk the good road with me, you are the salt of the earth, bringing cleansing and healing to all. Salt is a good thing, but if it loses its saltiness, how will it get its flavor back? That kind of salt has no worth and is thrown out. There is cleansing and healing to be shared with all as we walk the good road with Jesus. Jesus knows, though, that this crowd, kind of following the whims of the empire, if you will, will eventually take him down, stake him to the cross, which was a well-known instrument of torture and punishment and death, in the Greco-Roman world, really reserved to keep people in their place. Theologian James Cone compares the cross to the lynching tree in America, or also to the death penalty today. In his book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree, James Cone says this, every time a white mob lynched a black person, they lynched Jesus. The lynching tree is the cross in America. 
when American Christians realize that they can only meet Jesus in crucified bodies in our midst, they will encounter the real scandal of the cross. When American Christians realize that they can meet Jesus only in the crucified bodies in our midst, they will encounter the real scandal of the cross. We don't name hard things too often. I think it's a growing practice for us as part of our remembrance and lament. So I think it's important for me to say today, maybe even more so during Lent, that lynchings happened not so long ago and not far removed from here geographically. Just up the road, in the town center of Marion, Indiana, Abram Smith and Thomas Shipp were lynched on August 7th, which happens to be my birthday. Now it's etched in my mind. In 1930, two teenage young men with a crowd of over 10,000 spectators, people who failed to meet Jesus in these young men. In our practices here at Trinity, we state that we practice listening to hear the Spirit and the voices of one another, learning what it means to be grounded in and following Jesus Christ together. And Jesus says, only the ones who are willing to follow me and carry their own crossbeams are ready to walk the road with me and learn from my ways. And I think that begs the question for us then. Are we ready to walk the good road? with Jesus and learn his ways, bringing cleansing and healing to all along the road. This Lenten season, crucified bodies are piling up around us. Bodies of our trans sisters, brothers, siblings, crucified at the state level and in the athletic arena. Bodies of black teenagers piling up in Indianapolis parks like Isaiah Jackson and Devonta White. Bodies of our BIPOC siblings crucified through what James Cone calls the full-time occupation of surviving in a white supremacist society. Ukrainian siblings crucified in war, leaving a trail of orphans and those left to fight, building trenches feeding people in mass quantities who are fighting on the front lines. Siblings crucified behind bars awaiting death sentences. Elderly and disabled left to fend for themselves in a society that ignores their existence and denies access to services and care. I could go on. The point is crucified bodies are piling up around us. And Jesus says, only the ones who are willing to follow me and carry their own crossbeam are ready to walk the road with me and learn my ways. I think we need to sit with that for a minute. And it means much more than what I was brought up with it doesn't mean wearing that cross necklace, not that that's a bad thing, or carrying a cross in my pocket, okay? It means much, much more. 
Here's the thing that hit me this week. Giving up power is inherent to carrying the crossbeam. I think we get that. But we also know what Jesus did on the cross. And it hit me this week that Jesus carried humanity on the cross. I think that means that the cost of following Jesus on Creator's good road is carrying one another, carrying fellow human beings. Following Jesus moves us to listen and to learn, but also to act. I saw an image this week of a Ukrainian soldier with an elderly person over his back, carrying them out of the evacuation route. Carrying the crossbeam is what we do out of love for fellow human beings, bringing healing in a hurting world as we follow Jesus on the good road. So let us feel the weight of caring one another this Lenten season as we too follow Jesus. That we might be called disciples and be called by what we carry. I'm going uh, to do as Brittany did last week. I think you have the same book. We're probably reading the same things. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to read just a part of this poem from Amanda Gorman's book. It is called What We Carry. And I'm going to leave it with us today as a prayer. We have recalled how to touch each other and how to trust all that is good and all right. We have learned our true names, not what we are called, but what we are called to carry forth from here. What do we carry if not what and who we care most for? What are we if not the price of light? Loss is the cost of loving, a debt more than worth every pulse and pull. We know this because we have decided to remember. The truth is one globe, wonder flawed. There's, here's to the preservation of a light so terrific. The truth is there is joy in discarding almost everything, our rage, our wreckage, our hubris, our hate, our ghosts, our greed, our wrath, our wars on the beating shore. We haven't any haven for them here. Rejoice for what we have left behind will not free us, but what we have left is all we need. We are enough, armed only with our hands, open but unemptied, just like a blooming thing. We walk into tomorrow carrying nothing but the world. Amen. You can turn to the Lord's Table Liturgy there in your bulletin.